Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This episode is sponsored by Audible.com. Um, Audible are the internet's top provider of downloadable audiobooks. Um, and listening to audiobooks is a really good way of getting a bit of extra English into your life. Obviously, it's good to listen to Luke's English podcast. Um, and thank you for listening to this podcast. But uh, think about the option of downloading an audiobook from audible.com. They have thousands of titles, hundreds of thousands of titles to choose from, uh, all of the top stuff. And in fact, um, just recently, in the last 12 months or so, um, all of the Harry Potter series has arrived on Audible. Um, and they've immediately leaped up to the top position in the Audible download charts. And you can download one of those books free because you listen to this podcast. If you'd like to do that, just start a trial with Audible and uh, you can download a free audiobook as part of that trial. Sounds good, doesn't it? It does. Go to teacherluke.co.uk forward slash audible or just click an Audible logo on my website. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E. See an Audible logo on my website, click it, and then you can start a free trial and include that includes... A free audiobook, not bad. All the details are on my website. Now, let's get started with this new episode. And here's the jingle. Start the jingle! You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? I hope you're well. I hope you're fine. Welcome to another episode of Luke's English Podcast. And uh, let's see, this one is all about Euro 2016. It's football. It's time for some football on Luke's English Podcast. Don't run away if you're not into football, because I understand that probably a lot of you out there might not be into it. Some of you love football. Others might not be so keen, um, because I don't talk about football that regularly. Although, you you know, you should know if you're a long-term Lepster, you'll know that I am a football fan. I've talked about football before a few times. I did an episode a couple of years ago with James Simpson in which we talked about the Premiership. That was all about uh, the Premier League, English Premier League football. Um, go back into the archive and find that one. I think it's something like 180 something, like about 185, 186, something like that. It's called English Premier League football. So there's that. And then I did a whole series of episodes about the World Cup, which happened in Brazil just a couple of years ago. Uh, and that included loads of stuff about not just specific things about the World Cup, but also some things about um, what it means to be an England fan and how that can be a, a mixed experience because of our difficult past in international football competitions. Basically, England are these days usually a disappointment. Most of the time, England fans expect uh, the team to do well and then we either get knocked out in the first round or we lose on penalties, often to Germany, it seems. Um, so anyway, you can find out all about the history and, and you know, other details of international football in my World Cup episodes. And that was around episode 190 
to episode 197 in that area. Check the archive, you can listen to those. But um, this one is about Euro 2016. That's the European Football Championships. It's an international competition and it's just kicked off in France. It kicked off, it started just a couple of days ago. In fact, it's kicked off in more ways than one. Obviously, the football has kicked off. Uh, the, the opening game was on Friday. But also, a bit of other stuff has kicked off as well. There's been some violence on the streets of Marseille. And I'll be talking about that as well. Okay, so I am going to do a few episodes uh, about the um, the Euro 2016 football competition, the football championship, because, um, well, obviously I'm interested in football and England are in there, as well as other British teams like Wales and Northern Ireland. But also the Euros uh, are taking place in France this year. And I'm in France as well, um, because I live here. And usually when you're in a when you live in a place you you happen to be in that place as well. That's how it works, you see. And so the Euros are taking place here in France, so I'm kind of, you know, part of it. There's um there is it, the atmosphere is beginning to pick up. I can see um football fans from different parts of the world on the streets of Paris. <clears throat> Just today I was walking home and there was a bunch of uh, Swedish fans in the football kit. Uh, sitting in the um, the bar just outside my flat. They're all sitting there having a beer. Um, and uh, just yesterday, there were loads of Irish football fans in town. And they were. I saw a big group of Irish fans walking down my street, cheering, singing and shouting and making lots of noise. And also there were a few cars full of Irish fans driving around, making lots of noise as well. And I think sometime early this morning, I, I remember waking up at about 1am because I, I, I got woken up because we had the window open in the bedroom to get a bit of fresh air in there. I say fresh air. I'm not sure it's genuinely that fresh here in Paris. It's a slightly polluted place. But anyway, let's call it air. I don't even know if I can call it air. Anyway, I op- we had the windows open in order to get some cool pollution. And um, I could hear in the distance the sounds of cars beeping their horns and people shouting and cheering. And obviously it meant that somewhere down near the city centre, probably Place de la Concorde or something like that, or maybe the... Um, the Champs-Élysées, these famous parts of the, you know, the central parts of uh, Paris. It sounds like there were cars full of people making noise and generally being boisterous. In fact, I can, even as I record this, I could hear a car beeping its horn downstairs. Although that is quite normal on the sp- streets of Paris, to be honest. They're, they're quite horn happy here. They do hit the horn quite a lot. But, um, with the Euros going on, you definitely I'm starting to get the sensation that uh, uh, things are happening and the atmosphere is building. Um, and it's about time because in the run-up to the competition, there was really no buzz about it at all. I'll talk about that in a moment. So I am going to do a few episodes about this as the competition progresses, a bit like I did for the World Cup two years ago. I love international football competitions, but I'm not a huge expert on the subject of football. So please leave your comments with all of your opinions, questions, points of view and everything like that as we continue through this tournament. Um, I can then read out your comments in future episodes. I might do one or two other episodes uh, on this. Um, I'm sure that a lot of you out there listening to this know more about this subject than I do. So why don't you contribute some content for my episodes? Um, 
Just leave some comments on the page for this episode at teacherluke.co.uk. Um, don't leave your comments, don't leave football comments on the main page, on the front page. Don't leave them on the home page. Um, let's keep the football conversation on the Euro 2016 pages, which you will find in the episode archive or on the sidebar of every page on my website. So if you've got football comments and stuff, put them on the side, put them on the pages for the Euro 2016 episodes, okay? Um, so I will I will mention a few questions for you to respond to in your comments later in this episode. In this episode, not episodes. Just this is only one episode that I'm doing right now. I can't record more than one episode at a time, can I? I don't think so. That wouldn't be... But I know that... I know they say that men can't multitask, uh, and I, di- I beg to differ, but that's a particular bit of multitasking I can't do, because I can't talk, I can't say two different things into two different microphones at the same time. Of course I'm not. I'm not an alien with, like, more than one mouth, although some people might argue, uh, they might disagree with that. Uh, and what are you talking about, Luke? You're just rambling, aren't you? I am a little bit. I do that. It's Luke's English podcast. Shouldn't be a surprise. Anyway, so regarding episodes in this series, essentially I'm going to record something when there are things to say, like, for example, before or after a big game, especially if it's England, you know, because I am an England fan, of course. Um, um, and I'll record something when there are some big events to discuss or when there are some Lepster comments to share. All right. So let's talk about the Euros. And I hope that it is an interesting tournament. I hope there are things to talk about. Um, If there's nothing to talk about, then I won't talk about it. It's as simple as that. I'm only going to record episodes about this if there are things worth discussing and if uh, it seems that my listeners are interested in the subject. So, you know, think about comments you can leave on the page because work with me here. Work with me on this one. All right. Um, Now, I understand that you might not be a football fan, or that maybe your country's not represented in this tournament. For example, you might live in Asia or South America or another part of the world that's not in Europe or that doesn't qualify for the Euro Championship. Um, I hope that you will continue listening to this anyway, because it's not just about 22 guys kicking a ball around a green rectangle, you know. Uh, International football usually involves some drama and action, And the context of international relations being played out on a football field is usually pretty interesting, especially when there are also events going on off the pitch as well. Like, for example, the violence that's been going on in Marseille this weekend. Um, you, You must have seen that on the news that there have been fights between England fans and Russian fans and the French police and some local football fans. Um... So it's always interesting when there are other big events that relate to the football, you know. Um, So there's more to talk about than just the events on the football field. But of course, then there is the football too. Um, And that means, you know, all the goals and the upsets, the victories, the losses, the dramatic penalty shootouts, any surprises that might happen. And of course, the general disappointment of being an England fan. And I wonder how England are going to do this year. We'll talk about that in a moment, all right? So let's talk about France for a second. There is a lot going on in France at the moment. First of all, we've got the weather, because we've had some terrible weather recently. We've had tons of rain, we've had big thunderstorms and lots of floods. 
as I mentioned in a previous episode. Uh, homes have been flooded. People have been stuck in their cars because of flooding and stuff like that. Um, it's got a lot better. It's not, And it's not that bad, of course. In fact, the vast majority of people are, to be honest, unaffected by the flooding. But certainly, we're all feeling a bit fed up with the incessant rain and grey weather that we're having here. And if you're watching the Euros on TV, you might notice that the weather's a bit poor. And I expect that this week it's going to rain and stuff like that. So everyone's a bit fed up with this weather. It's June, for goodness sake. It's supposed to be sunny. Instead, it's just muggy and sweaty and grey and wet and humid. It's not very, it's not very inspiring, really. So come on, weather. Sort it out. There you go. I've told, I've told the weather, told the weather to sort it out. I'm sure that that's going to make all the difference. Um, Also in France, we've had recently lots of strikes, you know, strikes, industrial action. That's when people refuse to work, right? It's when people refuse to work, not just because they're lazy, but also because they're trying to negotiate some uh, conditions, uh, there have been lots of strikes here, uh, sort of labour uh, strikes, industrial strikes here, because there's been a uh, a new labour law has been proposed and uh, the unions and the workers don't like it. Basically, the labour law, I think, was going to try and make people work a bit more. I'm not sure. I haven't actually studied the details of the, the proposed legislation, but there's basically new working laws or labour laws that are going to be introduced and people don't like them. And so there have been lots of general strikes going on, particularly in trains. Um, lots of trains have been cancelled. Lots of journeys have been disrupted. Um, and also this weekend and last week, we there was a strike with rubbish um, collectors. I think, I'm not sure if it was the rubbish collectors or the places where the rubbish gets deposited, you know, the tips. But anyway, rubbish collection has been disrupted by these strikes. And um, there were, until this Saturday, there were huge piles of rubbish in the street, which was pretty smelly and disgusting. I mean, just outside the flat in the in the main square. Well, there's a little square outside my flat. And just there, there was this big pile of rubbish that was, you know, because the rubbish people weren't taking it away for some reason as part of the strike. And so this all the rubbish was mounting up, pretty disgusting and smelly. We went for a walk on Saturday morning, and there were all this rubbish everywhere. It was all the f- you could smell the 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 rubbish, and there were flies. It's dis- it was disgusting. Thankfully, Saturday afternoon we heard the noises of the um, rubbish collection uh, trucks. We could hear hear the noises, and we looked out the window, and thankfully there were guys out there removing all the rubbish. So they must have worked pretty hard on Saturday afternoon to get rid of all the rubbish that had collected up there. Um, So anyway, strikes. Yeah, strikes have been uh, affecting transport and rubbish collection. It's Unfortunately, it's pretty common in France that you get a lot of industrial action whenever, you know, uh, whenever the government tries to introduce some legislation, the workers' unions activate and people take to the streets. I say it's unfortunate. I don't know. It's a matter of opinion, really. The only reason I say it's unfortunate is because um, it just makes life inconvenient. You know, if you're not striking, if you're just trying to do stuff, it makes it inconvenient. I mean, you know, basically they've just got powerful unions here in France and... Uh, so I suppose that's good for the workers because they've got some 
uh, representation, but it's not necessarily great for everyone else because it makes it disruptive. And it and you know it made me wonder about how that was going to affect the the euros, with all the train strikes and the rubbish in the streets. It's not really ideal for when you know all these football fans are about to arrive in the country and the eyes of Europe and certainly the well possibly the eyes of the world certainly the eyes of Europe will be on France you want the place to be looking good running smoothly you know i mean come on france now is not the time to drop the ball on this um also there has been rather a tense atmosphere here in france generally since the terrorist attacks that happened in paris at the end of last year and in belgium um this year um, yeah, remember that? I talked to Paul Taylor about it on the podcast. Do you remember? Um, we talked about what he'd seen because he was quite close to some of the attacks when they happened and stuff like that. So we talked about the terrorist attacks. I haven't really talked about it very much since then. But um, yeah, there is still a bit of a tense atmosphere. It's not really obvious. Um, it's not like people are really on edge, but I definitely get the sense that there is a bit of tension under the surface. Um, for example, there are soldiers in the streets in some areas of Paris. Like, again, we walked, we just went for a walk on Saturday and went for another walk on Sunday this weekend. And there were just soldiers in the streets with like, you know, automatic weapons, you know, machine guns walking around in the streets. And it, you know, it, I, I think it subconsciously affects people when they see soldiers walking around. I suppose the soldiers are there to try and protect people, but it does give you that sense that, my God, what are we living in, some sort of war zone? Um, so there are soldiers in the streets, and there is a sense that people are expecting something bad to happen, especially because there will be large crowds of people in public areas and lots of tourists in town because of the, the Euro 2016 championships, you know. Um, and the eyes of the world um, are, are, are now on France. Um, yeah, so there has been a, a, a distinct lack of buzz about the football in Paris leading up to the competition. As far as I can see, I haven't really detected a great deal of excitement about the Euros um, up until this point. I think people are just a bit cautious of having lots of people arriving and lots of crowds of people in the street. And I think that nobody wants any trouble. We don't want any public disturbances and things like that. We just don't want any issues, please. Um, and I think maybe there's a sense that people... Um, you know, yeah, they just don't want any any trouble in the streets. And for example, in Paris, I think that um, uh, displays of football on screens um, in front of bars has been banned. That's what I understood. Someone told me that, that uh, restaurants or bars or cafes, bistros, whatever, they're not allowed to show the football on the terrace of their restaurants. You know, often what happens in these situations, like in the World Cup, for example, they put screens outside their restaurants and they have lots of chairs outside and lots of people gather together outside the bars and they watch the, the football sort of in the street. But I think that... Um, the government or the the mayor of Paris is trying to reduce this sort of thing 
because what we don't want really is large crowds of people in public areas again, because that's how the the, the attacks happened before. You know, the the attackers targeted uh, people in those situations. So there's a sense that you know there's a bit of a, a bit of concern. Um, but I think actually. Now that the now that the competition has started, I think people will get into the spirit of it, and people are starting to get excited, um, and that the mood is changing. We've most of the people we see in Paris, at least, uh, most of the supporters here are friendly, and there's an atmosphere of fun with the games. I talk about Paris, Marseille in the south of France is a different story, and I'm going to come on to that in a moment. Uh, but the mood is getting better, I think, especially since France won their opening game, and the competition is now underway. And you know, it's nice to have a bit of um, sort of uh, fun competition between nations, isn't it? So I do love international football competitions and I really hope that France do well this year. I think that the country in general could really do with a lift. I think it would help everyone. It would help the mood in Paris. It would help the general atmosphere in France if we had a really great Euro 2016 and that France do very well. I want to see everyone having a really good time and I want there to, to be a nice boost to the general morale here in, in, in Paris. I think it would gr- be great. Like, if you remember 1998, that was the last time France hosted an international football competition. They hosted the World Cup. And I think, again, uh, before that competition, a lot of people were a bit sceptical about uh, having the competition in France. And people were apparently, according to people I've spoken to, uh, a lot of people were saying, oh, we don't want loads of foreigners in the street and, oh, beaucoup de bruit. That's my French. Beaucoup de bruit. I don't know how to say it properly. Lots of noise. That's what that means. Oh, there'll be lots of foreigners in the streets and it's going to be crowded and there'll be loads of noise and we don't want the hassle and the French team aren't going to do very well because we haven't won anything for years. And what happened was eventually the the French team did really well. And uh, after the mood changed and everyone suddenly started enjoying the competition, France got through to like the semi-finals and they won that. And then they got into the final against Brazil. And suddenly the whole of France was electrified by World Cup fever. And then, of course, the moment that France actually won the thing, then then it just spilled over into public, uh, uh, like, adulation and adoration for the team and there were big celebrations and parties in the streets and the whole city of Paris and probably the rest of the country just went crazy and it would be great to see something like that it would be good for the self-esteem of France I think just like it's good for the self-esteem of any country when they win a competition like this but since I'm in France I personally have a a stake in the general mood here. And I just feel like because of the weather and the floods and the terrorist attacks and all that sort of thing, it's a bit moody here at the moment and we need a lift, please. Um, so I am behind France, but obviously they're not my number one team because I'm English in it. I'm English. I'm an English bloke. So I hope England do well. Um, the UK in general is, is represented pretty well this year with England uh, and Wales and Northern Ireland all qualifying. Uh, Scotland didn't qualify, so they're not involved. But uh, three out of four is not bad for the UK. Um, of course, I'm English, born and bred, so I'm an England fan, which is a slightly mixed blessing. 
as I've mentioned before, because we tend to be very good at disappointing. Well, I say we, the team tends to be very good at disappointing us. And also there's the question of, um, you know, the conduct of some of our fans and certainly recently, what with the events in Marseille this weekend, that's not something to be proud of. Um, I'm also behind Wales and Northern Ireland. It would be really great um, to see them do well because they rarely get a lot of success in international tournaments like this. Generally, Wales and Northern Ireland are regarded as minnows in international competitions. Um, what's a minnow? A minnow is a small fish, like a little fish. So if you say that a football team is a minnow, it means that they're just like a small team um, and they don't have, you know, they're, they're not like a really large, powerful team. They're just a small team. So Wales and Northern Ireland are often regarded as minnows in these sorts of competitions. Although Wales, I think, have got a better chance this year than normal. They've got some good players, ex- uh, particularly um, Gareth Bale, uh, who is uh, one of the most uh, expensive players on earth. I can't account for football players on other planets, of course, but Gareth Bale is one of the most valuable players on earth and, and Wales have got him. So that's that's good for them. It'll be interesting to see how he and the whole team perform this time. Um, not sure about Northern Ireland. I I, I mean, they're, they're gen- genuinely a minnow and... Uh, I, I, uh, let's see. It seems most of the pundits, the the experts and journalists, have you know don't expect them to do terribly well. But I really hope they do, just because I think it would be great to see Northern Ireland do well. And I know that there are lots of people in Northern Ireland who would just. I mean, we talk about having a boost uh, and being under the weather. I mean, in Northern Ireland, the weather's always like it is here at the moment. It's not always, but. It's often kind of grey in in that part of the world. And they haven't been in an international tournament for a while. So I'm backing Northern Ireland as well. Um, Northern Ireland haven't been in an international tournament like this in 30 years. So this is a really good opportunity for them. Also, our neighbours, the Republic of Ireland, are in the tournament too. Um, So, you know, I hope that they do well as well. Right. Um, so another ingredient uh, in the mix here in terms of context, so we've got the weather and all the other stuff. Another ingredient in the mix here is the EU referendum, which is going to arrive in week two of the tournament. Uh, in fact, the EU referendum is next week. So a week on Thursday. It's about 10 days away from the, the, the date that I'm recording this. And that's going to arrive, you know, right in the middle of the tournament. And... Uh, I wonder if that's going to somehow add, um, uh, you know, some other aspect um, here because, you know, that's an important part of the wider context because there are British teams in the tournament and it will probably just add some significance to the events on and off the pitch and could maybe heighten the tension of the action, you know? Um, We'll see. Now, uh, Talking about heightening the tension, there is yet another factor in play now, and that is hooliganism, the problem of hooliganism. Just this weekend, English fans were involved in violent clashes with local French fans, Russian fans and the local French police on the streets of Marseille. So Marseille is Paris's second biggest city. It's on the south coast. 
there is traditionally a big rivalry between Paris and Marseille, uh, generally, but especially in football. And Marseille has got very keen and passionate football fans. And it's a fascinating city. I was there just last weekend. I went down, you know, for sort of a family event. And, um, and it was a fascinating place to be. It's quite different to Paris. You get the sense that there's a different sort of atmosphere there. Um, but uh, yeah, just this weekend, Friday, Saturday, maybe a bit on Thursday as well, I think. Um, yeah, English fans were involved in violence and fighting. And it's really shameful, actually. It's really shameful stuff. Uh, first of all, I think that the violence is mostly instigated, started or carried out by a minority of fans. And it's, it's, there's a minority of English fans, these hooligans, who basically they go down to take part in these events just to be violent. You know, there's always a minority, a small group within the, the, the rest of the fans who are there to be violent. Um, and it's not just England fans. I think that it's true for fans of most of the countries. They all have violent elements within them. And it's these elements that give everyone else a bad name. So the English are, are quite well known for their football hooligans, and I'm not proud of it. But there are other nations too, particularly in Europe, it seems. You know, you've got most of the, most of the teams will have hooligans in, among their fans. Um, it's, it's, really, it's really sad because uh, these minority, the ones who are just up for a fight... Um, just give everyone else a bad name. You know, most people just want to come and enjoy the football and probably have a good time in France. Uh, but these hooligans will get drunk and they get leery. Leery. That means that they get noisy and they get aggressive and they get a bit out of control. They get leery. That's L-A-I-R-Y. They get drunk and leery. They drink loads of beer. They take their shirts off. And they start singing and probably act in a very aggressive and threatening manner to all the local people in public areas as well. Uh, you know, this happens in public areas that are usually nice, calm places where people are dining outside restaurants or enjoying a drink in the evening. Uh, the, the thing is, as I've said, this is a very tense time in France because of the terror attacks that happened. And the police have been have probably been prepared to react strongly to violence. I imagine the police have already been working pretty hard to try and be vigilant against possible attacks. And so when something like this happens, then naturally they are going to react in quite a, an extreme way. I imagine that the, the police probably won't tolerate a lot of public disturbance. And in fact, they have responded pretty strongly to what looks like well, to an extent, noisy singing and general public drunkenness that the English football fans are, are famous for, but also a certain amount of fighting as well. So uh, I think there was like tension and some fighting between groups of fans and then the French police came in and they, they, they came in pretty heavy handedly. Uh, maybe they were reacting to it in the appropriate way, but I think the French police did respond pretty strongly. They fired tear gas into the crowds of fans and um, any fans that came close to the police got hit with batons. It's pretty strong stuff, like pretty hardcore crowd control. And as a result, 
Um, uh, the French police on Friday evening attempted to move in on the football fans and clear them away from uh, a popular part of the city for tourists. Um, yeah, the football fans responded by throwing bottles and then the police went into full crowd control mode and they shot tear gas at the crowd and started beating up some of the fans who were, you know, uh, reacting. Then on Saturday... England fans and Russian fans clashed a bit outside the stadium. And they also, I think, clashed in one of the main air, main parts of the city. I also heard that there was some violence between uh, the England fans and the local French football fans. So really, it's like a four-way situation. Um, four-way situation with England fans, Russian fans, local Marseille football fans and the French police. And it's not quite clear who really started it, who's to blame, and you know whether or not the police were too tough or they were responding in the right way. It's hard to tell, but I imagine that the hooligan elements within these football groups um, were probably almost as guilty as each other. I mean, you know, who started and who provoked the other one? I'm not sure about that. Apparently, UEFA are doing uh, uh, some investigations into that. Um, during the during the game, during the England versus Russia game, which happened on Saturday, things seemed to be quite peaceful in the crowd as the match continued. But at the end of the game, some Russian fans launched one or two flares at England fans. Um, and uh, there was also a firework. There was a loud bang in the stadium near the end of the game. You might have heard that if you were watching the game on TV. There was a loud bang. And I think that was a... Um, that was a firework that was set off inside the stadium by a Russian fan. That's what I've read. Um, and so, yeah, as the game ended, some Russian fans broke through a line of security guards and attacked the England fans who tried to run away. Um, now, there are questions here about who's responsible. So some people might say that the English fans were provoking the Russian fans by shouting racist uh, abuse or saying things about Vladimir Putin. Um, and that was considered to be provocation. And that's why the Russian fans attacked them. Maybe the Russian fans were the aggressive ones and that they, um, you know, they chose to attack the English fans. So they're the, they're the guilty party. Uh, maybe there's a question about the security arrangements around and inside the stadium. That, For example, how were these fans allowed into the stadium in possession of fireworks and flares? How could they do that? And also, was there enough security to divide the Russian and, and English fans in the stadium? So there's lots of questions about who's responsible for this. But one thing's for sure, uh, the the hooligans should be ashamed of themselves. And um, certainly the English people are not proud of their hooligans. And I imagine the Russian fans are also not proud of the action of some of their fans as well. I don't know. I can't speak for the Russians, but I, I you know, I wonder what you have to say. I know I've got Russian people listening to this. So what's the position of, of Russian people on this? I'd like to know. Um, so... Um, what else happened? Uh, I, all of this violence is particularly worrying and irresponsible because everyone is on edge because of the threat of another terrorist attack. So everyone just needs to chill out, okay? 
and bring down the tension and just enjoy football. I'm personally just disgusted and disappointed by these violent elements who are just going to ruin it for everyone else if they're not careful. Um, If they're not careful. Oh, sorry. I don't think they care about being careful, do they really? On the streets of Marseille after the game, some violence continued between these different factions. And apparently the metro in Marseille was closed on Saturday night. Taxis and buses stopped running. And the city centre sounds like it was... um, a bit of a war zone. It's ugly and disappointing and it makes me feel ashamed. Did I already say that? Certainly the media in England and lots of public figures are condoning... Uh, they're, they're not condoning the violence. No, they're condemning the violence. Um, okay, it's, I just made a mistake with a word there, uh, like you do sometimes in your first language, but it's, it provides me with an opportunity to clarify two different words here. So you've got to condemn and to condone. Okay, they sound a bit similar. They are opposite words. If you condemn something, it means you say that you disagree with something. You publicly disagree with something. For example, you know, you say that you think the actions of these hooligans is completely unacceptable. You condemn the actions of the hooligans. Okay, and then to condone something is to do the opposite, to support something publicly. Okay, so nobody is condoning the the actions of these hooligans, and everyone is condemning them in England, at least. Um, Lots of public figures uh, are in the media condemning the violence and strongly criticising this this violent element that we have within our fans, and I agree. Uh, But there are also lots of reports coming in from eyewitnesses who say that it's not just English fans acting like hooligans. Apparently, there are other elements at work, including local French fans and the Russian fans, as I as I said. Okay, according to these reports from people on the street uh, via Twitter and Periscope. In fact, I watched a Periscope video that I found uh, on YouTube taken by someone who was actually on the street at the time. Uh, Apparently, according to these eyewitness reports that I've seen, the English fans were getting drunk in the street and generally um, being aggressive um, in in the... uh in the main tourist area near the port in in Marseille. They were singing, acting aggressively. Um, and then they were, apparently, they were attacked in coordinated movements by groups of local French fans who apparently arrived quickly and started throwing bottles at the England fans. And the England fans then responded in the same way by throwing bottles at them. Um, so the report that I saw is that that the England fans didn't start it, but who knows if I'm getting the right information. Similar things apparently happened with Russian fans, who, it is reported, um, started fights with the English. Um, So again, I've read reports that it was the Russians who started it. I don't know if that's true or not, because it's hard to know, isn't it? It's hard to know if what I've read and what I've seen on the internet is the full picture. Um, apparently the streets were covered in broken glass and about 30 people were injured. Two English fans have been seriously hurt and they may be in critical condition. One of them was kicked in the head a number of times and another one had a heart attack. I'm not sure quite who was, you know, who was committing the violence against these particular people, whether it was the French police, the local fans or the, or the Russian fans. Um, yeah, the as I said, the French police fired tear gas into the crowds. 
tear gas. You know, tears, when you cry, tears is what comes out. Tears are what come out of your eyes. And tear gas is a gas that police fire into riots like this as a way of trying to control the the crowd. And basically, tear gas is very painful in your eyes. It makes your eyes sting. And it's very hard to be um, a violent hooligan when when your eyes are stinging. You've heard my... You've heard my um, solution to this problem. I think what the police should do in this situation is get a copy of a grammar book and a big loudspeaker and start announcing grammar rules into the audience. And that, that will pacify anyone. That's certainly my experience from my English lessons. As soon as, I, as, soon as we start doing grammar work, then the, uh, the, the students all fall asleep and they just sort of become zombies. Maybe they should be doing that, just like picking a page from a grammar book and... You know, talking about uh, the difference between past simple tense and past perfect tense is really a question of time aspect and, you know, that kind of thing. And then everyone will be like, oh, God, this is boring, isn't it? Let's just go home. Let's go back to the hotel. But no, that's not what the French police did. They fired tear gas into the crowds. They hit fans with batons. Fair enough, I suppose. No one's... I mean, there are some questions about whether the French police were acting uh, too strongly and that this might have provoked the, the, the violence even further. Don't know. What do you think? What do you think? Let me know your opinion. Apparently, the French police also used water cannons to keep the crowd at bay. And then the, uh, the English fans responded to all this by, you know, going berserk and throwing even more bottles and throwing chairs and even tables in response. There's lots of video footage on the internet. Apparently, UEFA, that's the European... Uh, Football Association, uh, UEFA, UEFA, they are investigating the violence in the stadium, which appears to have been started by the Russians. That's what I've read. But again, uh, listeners in Russia, you've probably got a different version of the story to me. Um, So I'd like to know what the media is saying about this in your country. Um, And uh, yes, UEFA apparently are going to take disciplinary action disciplinary action. That means they're going to discipline either the fans or the teams. Um, I expect there will be some form of discipline or punishment given out to both sets of fans. In fact, I heard earlier on that UEFA have opened up, yeah, as I said, they've opened up a disciplinary procedure against the Russian Federation because of the conduct of their fans in the situation. Mm. Um, I wonder if they're also disciplining the English fans. I wouldn't be surprised. I just hope that all the peaceful fans are not affected by this. For example, if there's a general audience ban or maybe the teams are not allowed to continue in the competition, that would be terrible. That would be really bad for all of the genuine fans who just want to watch football. So I'm not sure what the disciplinary procedure will be exactly, although I heard uh, suggestions that they might do a match ban on the teams, like the teams may be either forced to to not play, they, they might be banned from the tournament, or they, they might like take points away from the teams, or they might ban members of the audience from coming into the uh, into the audience into the uh, stadiums. Whatever happens, I hope they don't stop the teams playing football. I just hope that the hooligans don't continue this 
because they should know that if they consider themselves to be fans of their country, then they're not acting like fans. They're acting like idiots and they're ruining it for everyone else. And they might ruin it for their team, the team that they um, say that they support. Um, So, yeah. Now, it's difficult to have complete faith in the media, you know, because I don't know if they're being completely impartial. Um, you know, it you tend to find that certain media will have a bit of prejudice towards their team or they might be slightly biased against other nations. I wonder what the media is saying about this in your country. They might be a bit biased. And that includes the media in England, which also might be biased. Um, for example, some English papers might suggest that the Russians started the fighting, or that the French police completely overreacted and were unnecessarily brutal with the English fans. Perhaps the Russian media might emphasise the hooliganism of the English. I'm, I, As I've said several times now, I'm interested to know how this story is being treated in your country. So let me know in the comments section. I'm sure it's a very complex issue and that all sides have some responsibility, but I'm curious to know what you think. Um, I I think this has been a four-way problem. English fans, Russian fans, local French fans and the police. Let's hope it it doesn't get any more out of hand. I really hope the hooligans just tone it down and focus on enjoying the football. Um, Yeah, okay. I'm worried. I feel like there's not very much goodwill towards the English at the moment. Um, Mainly because of the Brexit situation. You know, you look at England, especially from the European perspective, and you think the Brits, and it's mainly England, because, I mean, Scotland, for example, they seem to want to leave the European Union. Hello, hello, it's Luke here. I'm just interrupting myself because it's necessary to make a quick correction there. I just said that uh, Scotland probably wants to leave the European Union. That's the opposite of what I wanted to say. What I meant to say is Scotland's probably wants to remain in the European Union. That seems to be the general opinion there. Uh, and if uh, the UK votes to leave, then Scotland might vote. They might have another referendum and vote to leave the UK and then go back to Europe. And England will kind of say, wait a minute, where's Scotland gone? And then Wales will say, oh yeah, they just, um, they've gone back to Europe. Yeah, I think they forgot their jackets or something. And then all the English people will go, what, they have? They actually have jackets in Scotland? Um, anyway, just wanted to clarify and fact check myself by saying, no, Scotland, in fact, probably would vote to leave the UK and remain uh, in the European Union in the event of a Brexit. Okay, let's go back to this lengthy uh, coverage of the violence in the south of France here as part of the European Championships of Football in 2016. And it's back to you, Luke. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've just literally just this second uh, had a, um, a notification on my phone from the Guardian newspaper. And the notification is about um, the UEFA disciplinary action. And according to the Guardian, it says Russia has been handed uh, a suspended European 2016 disqualification and it's been fined 150,000 euros. So apparently Russia is 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 having to pay 150,000 euros as punishment and they've they've been given a suspended disqualification which basically means that any other incidents will see Russia disqualified from the tournament. So UEFA there 
sort of singling out Russia and uh, punishing them with a fine and uh, and a sort of suspended disqualification. Suspended just means that the disqualification is hanging over their heads. And if the fans do anything else wrong, then the disqualification will come into effect. Okay, that's interesting. So apparently uh, UEFA are pointing the finger at Russia there. I wonder if there will be any punishment handed out to England as well. Anyway, back to the podcast episode. Here we go. Wales, we're not completely sure because they're in a different position to Scotland. Northern Ireland, again, it's complicated. These slightly smaller nations, it's harder. it would be harder for them to, to leave the UK, I think. But uh, if Scotland goes, who knows? Uh, but it's mainly England that seems to be the Eurosceptic element in, in uh, the UK. So from Europe, I imagine people look at England and they think, look, you guys have got this incredible position in the European Union where you've got, you know, you have your cake and eat it too and all that stuff. And yet it's just still not good enough, is it? And you might be willing to leave the Euro- European Union, cause all this damage to the whole arrangement just for your own selfish purposes. Um, and it, it just might make us look bad. Then again, I think there are probably people out there who who are Eurosceptic in, within Europe and they look at the UK and go, yeah, go for it. Why don't you leave? Uh, because uh, then it will make it easier for us all to leave. I guess it depends on your political point of view, as usual. I'm not going to let this um, turn into a conversation about Brexit, by the way. We're still talking about football. Also, uh, I feel I feel a bit bad for the residents of Marseille, because I was there last week and I was in the area where the violence occurred, and it's a beautiful spot, and I expect that this has been very disruptive and quite traumatic for local people who are just trying to go about their business, you know. Um, so even though the specifics of what happened are not clear, I am sickened by the actions of some of our fans who act so badly when they're abroad. Why do they have to do this? It's appalling, really. And it's been like this for years and years. We've always had a problem with violent football hooligans going abroad. I don't really understand it. I don't know why they do it. But I hate these people. I think it's tribalism at its worst. It's just tribalism. There's not really much more to it than that. It's just the worst form of tribalism. Almost the worst form of tribalism. I mean, there are many, many bad um, examples of tribalism. But this is just, a you know, one of the bad ones. Whenever I come across these types of violent football fans at home, I can't stand it, all right? They're the worst people to run into. And I've always hated that kind of element. And I'm not proud of it. And it's also ironic to me that many of these people, many of these sort of uh, hooligan violent football fans are the sorts of people who you might find complain about foreigners coming into England and disrupting life in England. It's like bloody foreigners coming around here, stealing our benefits, you know, taking money from our economy. And it's all gets it all gets paid for by the taxpayer, doesn't it? The English taxpayer. Well, some of these people are now ironically going into Europe and causing loads of damage. I mean, you know, it's it's just a, a it's uh yeah, it's just not good enough, is it really? And it's ironic. Uh, anyway, this is supposed to be about football. So it's a pity to start this competition with violence. I wonder how everything will continue both on and off the pitch, but I hope that the violence is done 
and uh, that we can just enjoy some really good international football. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the Euros and then I'm going to talk about uh, England versus Russia. Um, so this time there are 24 teams in uh, in the Euros this year. 24 teams. Normally it's less than that. I think normally it's 16 teams. But th- for the first time this year, we've got 24 teams. So let me now list the countries that are in the European Championships this time. We've got Albania, Austria, uh, Austria, not Australia. No, of course, Australia, they're not in the European Championships. They don't, they're nowhere near Europe. Although, weirdly, they do take part in the Eurovision Song Contest. That's Australia. Anyway, I mention that because people always get the words Austria and Australia mixed up. Okay. Austria, that's the country that it borders Germany. Right. So, Albania, Austria, Belgium, Croatia, Czech Republic, England, France, Germany, Hungary, Iceland, that's all the way up, up, up north to the north of Scotland, Iceland, Italy, Northern Ireland, Poland, Portugal, Republic of Ireland, Romania, Russia, Slovakia, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, Turkey, Ukraine, and Wales. Okay, so that's the uh, that's the 24 teams that are in the competition this time. And uh, that means that it's slightly different. So there's going to be a group stage, first of all, and basically the winners of each, the, 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 the two top teams from each group will go through to the next round. But then there are two other places available. And I think it's the, the of all the teams that finished third, the, one, the best two from those teams will also go through. Hello there. I'm just interrupting myself again because it's necessary to do another little bit of fact checking. I just said that there were, uh, what, 24 teams uh, across six groups and the top two teams in each group go through to the next round. And I said that, that the top, like the, the two best third placed teams would also go through, but it's not true. It's actually the fourth, the four best third placed teams I'm sure you're you're delighted that I corrected myself on that, aren't you? You're probably thinking, wait a minute, we can't continue this because it's not two teams in third place, it's four teams in third place that go through and the whole fabric of the space-time continuum will, will break down unless Luke corrects that. So I've done that, so everything's okay, okay? Everything's back in order again, so we can now carry on. And so now it's back to Luke Thompson in the Skypod reporting on the European Championships 2016. It's back to you, Luke, again. So in, you know, there will be a, a, um, a third place f- in some of the groups that will go through. And then we go into the knockout stages and so on. And we keep progressing and we, we have the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and then the final itself. Okay. Um, so I've got a few facts here. I just went online and I, uh, let's see. I wonder if there are any interesting facts that I can share with you about the Euros from this website. So yeah, this is the first time 24 teams will be participating. Um, France managed to beat two other countries for the rights to host Euro 2006. Those other two countries were, um, well, five other countries placed a, a, a bid. There was France, Italy, Turkey, Norway and Sweden. Um, Norway and Sweden placed their bid as a joint bid, 
But they withdrew that in December 2009 due to lack of political support in both countries. So it seems that the political parties weren't really interested in having a joint... Um, maybe, I don't know if they were interested in having a joint. They weren't interested in having a joint uh, uh, hosting of the games. I don't know how they felt about joints, but anyway, joint hosting, they weren't uh, interested in. And Turkey has never hosted a Euro or a World Cup. Um, so which, which were... Th- Anyway, France France got it, even though a number of other countries were looking for it. Uh, this is the third time France has hosted the tournament. First time was in 1960, and uh, second time was in 1984. Um, and this France is the first ever country to host the tournament three times. Uh, in 1984, France won the tournament on home soil by defeating Spain 2-0. That must have been painful, Spain. Yeah, your neighbours beating you there like that. Um, and also, of course, France hosted uh, the World Cup in, in 1998 and they won it then. Um, so it seems France do well in these competitions when they are held on French soil. So that's probably why France is the favourite this time. Um, so there's a European, there's a Euro logo, which is the uh, trophy, the European Championship trophy and the red, white and blue colours of the tricolore, the French flag. Um, uh, let's see, uh, what else? Any other interesting facts and figures? Not really. (laughs) Um, there are going to be 10 host cities involved. We've got Saint-Denis, that's the Stade de France, just outside Paris. There's Marseille, Lyon, Lille, Paris, Paris, Bordeaux, Saint-Étienne, Nice, Lens, and Toulouse. These are the cities in which the games are going to take place. Um... And uh, David Guetta produced the official Euro Euro 2016 song. I'm not a fan of David Guetta. I'll be honest. Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll just tell you now. I know that he's hugely popular around the world. It's not really my cup of tea, David Guetta. As far as I can see, most of the time he's just pressing one button. Lots of his tracks just have that do 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 do. He's just got one. You just need one finger it seems, to do that. I know I'm I'm being cynical about the music of David Guetta, but, you know, I'm not the first and I won't be the last. Um, and, right, various other facts. Not very interesting, those facts. The favourites, favourite teams. France are the favourites because they're the host nation and, you know, they're in the, their squad is quite good. It's, it's got a weak defence, but generally the French squad seems to be pretty good. They're on form. Certainly the attacking part of their team seems to be strong. Not sure about the defence. Then other teams, you know, some some of the big names, Spain, the second favourites, Germany, England are fourth favourites, probably thanks to the the performances in the uh, qualifying stages, because we won every single game in the qualifying stages. Uh, and there are other, you know, teams that are mentioned, but no one team is the obvious choice. All the teams have got their flaws and their strengths. Um, there isn't one absolutely outstanding team. So that should make it quite an interesting, fairly even tournament. Um, so far, France won the opening game against Romania. Uh, they won 2-1 against Romania. Switzerland have beaten Albania. Uh, England and Russia drew 1-1. And I'll talk about, more about that in, a, in just a second. Wales have beaten Slovakia 2-1. Uh, Croatia beat Turkey 1-0. Germany beat Ukraine 2-0 um, yesterday. And Poland beat Northern Ireland 1-0. Um, so, 
essentially France is heading its group, it's top of its group. Wales is top of its group. Um, Germany is top of its group. And that's where we stand at this moment. So we've only just started, really. Now, um, <clears throat> what about the England game? So, you know, England drew against Russia. I'm going to talk about the England game. I watched it on Saturday night on the TV. I thought, generally, that England played well, in the, especially in the first half. But for some reason, we just couldn't find the net. And by the way, if you find the net, it means score, of course. When the ball hits the back of the net, you find the net. It's just a, a sort of colloquial way of saying score a goal. So England played well in the first half, but we just couldn't find the net. It's very annoying, typically annoying, watching England. We just couldn't bloody score. There were some good, good moments of play between our attacking players, but we really should have scored. We had plenty of opportunities that were missed, and we paid for that later on in the game. Russia improved in the second half, but England still had a few chances. There was an amazing save by the Russian goalkeeper Akinfiev. Is that how you say his name? Akinfiev. 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 I don't know how to say his name, but anyway, the goalkeeper, the Russian goalkeeper, made a brilliant save in the second half. And then England won a free kick just outside the penalty box in around the 58th, 59th minute. Um, now, some people say that it wasn't a foul. Um, I've been looking for comments about that on the internet, but I found no comment about uh, about that in the English press, and I've checked online. So I saw the moment, I saw the foul that won us the free kick on the edge of the box, and for me, it looked like a foul. I think the guy seemed to block the English uh, player and prevent him from getting to the ball, and I think that counts as a foul, but, you know, there's probably people arguing about that. Um, I imagine in Russia, you probably considered it not to be a foul. Did you? I wonder. Again, I look forward to reading your comments. Uh, we scored then from the free kick taken by Dyer, with some help from an England player in the wall who blocked the view of the goalkeeper by ducking out of the way of the ball at the last moment. It was quite clever. And some might argue an example of gamesmanship, which is sort of like slightly unfair con conduct. So you know the way when there's a free kick, you have a wall of players who stand in a line and they're usually, you know, the defending players who stand in a line, try and block the ball so it doesn't go in the goal, right? It's a wall. Um, and the, the, the person taking the free kick tries to bend the ball around the wall or over the wall or to try and pass it to someone else who might shoot from a different position. But also, what, you happen some, what happens sometimes is that the attacking team will place players in or next to the wall as well as a way of trying to disrupt the wall. And that's what happened this time. That there was, I, can't, I don't know who it was, but someone was sort of moving around just to the edge of, just to the side of the wall. Uh, an England player was standing, blocking the view of the goalkeeper. And he moved in and moved out again. So he moved in and Dyer hit the ball, firing it at the top left corner. And the England player was standing in the way, but he ducked out of the way at the last second, which meant that the goalkeeper couldn't see the ball coming and it hit the net. I mean, that's a, tat that's a tactic. That's a strategy. Um, and, uh, and it worked. Um, so... Anyway, we scored from the free kick and uh, so that was it. 1-0. Finally, we got the goal that we'd been looking for for 60 minutes. And there was a big celebration 
you might have seen that one uh, photographer on the side of the pitch got completely squashed by all the English players who who jumped on each other after the goal goal was score, scored. But then our mistake, England's mistake, was that we then sat back. Now to sit back, I mean, it's imagine sitting back in your chair. It's like when you relax. Ah, you sit back like this. Ah, everything's fine. We scored a goal. No problem. It's, we've only got 30 minutes. We've only got a third of the game left. We can sit back now, can't we? So they decided to sit back. And I, I think the plan was to try and defend their 1-0 lead, to defend their advantage. But of course, what happened is Russia took advantage of that. And they then, right at the end of the game, in additional time, they scored a really great header. Um, so England shouldn't have sat back. I think we should have tried to score a second goal to really secure the victory because this could be a really crucial victory for us. Beating Russia could be, you know, an important step, you know, that could guarantee that we go through as the leaders of the group if we'd beaten them. But instead, we scored a goal and we took our foot off the pedal and tried to defend the one goal lead, which is really a bit of a risk, especially when you're dominating the game. We should have kept pushing and scored a second goal, in my opinion. Um, so all the English fans, I think, at the end of the game felt a very familiar feeling, which was disappointment because we didn't win. And I think even the Russian fans were delighted because it, it probably felt like a win for them because they'd been losing for, you know, certainly the last half an hour of the game and England had really dominated the match. Uh, so coming out of the game with a draw probably made the Russians felt like they'd, they'd won something. But the English just felt like they'd lost. It was a huge disappointment. So we, in fact, we have never, we've still never won our opening game in a Euro championship. So we are generally disappointed, even though in, actually, if you look at the game, the team played pretty well and 1-1 is not too bad, really. Uh, but we had opportunities and we should have scored more goals. Some people are saying, well, we deserve to win that one. We deserve to win. I don't agree with that because if you deserve to win, you probably would win, right? If you deserve to score more goals, it means that you do all the necessary things and actually score the goals. If you don't score a goal, it probably means that you did something wrong. You know, if you don't score the goal, then you didn't deserve to score it, did you? Unless it was a goal that was taken away from you by some piece of cheating or something. So it's not fair to say we deserve to score more. We should have scored more. And it's a disappointment that we didn't because we played pretty well. So some of the main questions that people are asking now about the England team are questions about the usefulness of Sterling, who plays on the left wing, sort of he's a attacking player on the left side, um, who is, he's quick and he's got some skill with his feet, but he sort of lacks end product. Now, if you talk about end product in football, it means like the sort of uh, uh, end product. It just means um, what do you do with the ball ultimately? What's the what's the actual um, outcome of w w your possession of the ball? An end product could be, for example, uh, having a shot on goal or uh, delivering the ball to someone else. That's what we mean by end product. So it's all very good when a player controls the ball really well and they keep possession and they dribble and they beat defenders. But where's the end product? The end product being what's the final result of all of this stuff? And the end product, ha the end product has to be an accurate shot on goal. Um, 
you know, end product should test the goalkeeper. The ball should be on target. And that, you know, ultimately it should be a goal, right? Or at least an assist to a goal. So it seems to me that he lacks end product. He's flashy, he's fast, he's got potential, but where's the end product? Another question is about why another player called Vardy was left on the bench for the whole game. If you're left on the bench, it means that you're a substitute and you just sit on the bench. So he wasn't brought into the the, the team uh, the, on the pitch. He, he he wasn't brought onto the pitch by our manager Roy Roy Hudson. That's how Roy Hudson speaks, by the way. Uh, well, I think the lads have they've played a very they've played a good game, and um, um, obviously I'm disappointed with the um, with the one one uh, draw. I think that um, we deserved we deserved more. We deserved to have scored a goal, but obviously along with everyone else, I'm really disappointed and I think that's um, you know that's how Roy Hodgson Roy because he doesn't say his R's very clearly not Roy Hodgson but Roy 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 Hodgson anyway um, yeah Roy Hodgson chose to leave Vardy on the bench for the whole game and Vardy's like a top goal scorer he's a danger man so I don't know why he was on the bench for the whole game maybe Roy Roy was trying to save him you know Maybe he's thinking, I'll keep Vardy on the bench and uh, we don't want him to use up. We don't. Maybe he didn't want him to get injured in the first game. I don't know. Also, there was another question about Kane. Kane is probably our tallest striker. And you want your tallest striker, the guy who's taller than everyone else who can head the ball in the goal, you want him in front of the goal when there's a corner, right? When the ball is being crossed in from the corner, you want him in the fr- in front of the goal. So why was Kane taking corners the whole game? No one understands that. And then there's the usual Mickey taking of Wayne Rooney, and people like to make fun of Wayne Rooney generally because he because of the way he looks. People used to say that he looked like Shrek, you know, the cartoon character Shrek, the green. Uh, what is he? He's a troll, isn't he? The green troll. People used to say that Rooney looked like Shrek. Um, so I've, I noticed someone writing a, a fairly succinct comment on Facebook. I don't know where it was. It was on like a football forum on Facebook or something. And um, it summed it up quite well. And it went like this. Sterling is a useless twat. Why is Vardy on the bench? Why is Kane taking corners? Why does Rooney's head look like a turnip? These are the big questions. I think he nailed it, really. Uh, now, I want to know your comments. And so here are some questions. Number one, which team is your favourite? Now, I don't mean which team do you support, but which team do you think is going to win? So which team do you predict to be the winner? I'm going to write that. Which team do you predict to be the winner? Winner. What do you, what do you think of Roy? That's not one of the questions. Which players do you think are worth watching? this year. What did you think of the England versus Russia game? Uh, What's your opinion about the violence this week in Marseille? Now, I've heard that there have been some outbreaks of violence uh, between other groups too. Uh, For example, between Polish and French fans in Nice as well. Um, So what's the media saying about all of this in your country? Let us know your thoughts and opinions. And uh, if and when I do other episodes about the Euros uh, over the next couple of weeks, then I can read out some of your comments. So 
create some content for me to share on the podcast. And ultimately, let's hope that the drama, the main drama, is played out on the pitch and not in the streets. Okay, thanks very much for listening to this podcast. I'll speak to you again very, very soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar, and pronunciation teaching from me, and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.